Are you the kind of gal who isn't interested in how things used to be in the hair industry, who wants to hear from ladies who are paving their own way while making waves? Well then, She Makes Waves is for you. Hey guys, so I know a lot of you have already downloaded the free workbook for She Nets Worth, but if you haven't, head over download that. And if it still leaves you wanting more, you're in for a treat. I'm going to be launching end of September, my course, She Nets Worth, a hairstyle's guide to going independent. So for anyone who is on the cusp, who's like in the next year, in the next six months, I'm not doing it yet, but I want to go independent or you've gone independent and you're like, I need a roadmap. I'm here. I did it. I pulled the trigger and I'm not sure what I'm doing now. This course is also for you. So I've taken it back to the drawing board. I've taken all of the learnings and all the teachings from my one-on-one coaching, and I've compiled it together in an at-your-own-pace five-week course. So I'm so excited. It'll be teaching you everything from how to read a profit and loss statement to how to get an LLC. So um, policies, procedures, everything that I do and make my business run in such a way where I can have the life of my dreams while running a business. So head over to my website, wavemaking.com slash course and get on the wait list because I don't want you to miss this. Money, 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 money. (laughs) Money. Oh, (laughs) we didn't practice. I love that. Okay, so you guessed it. This episode of the series is all about money. Money. No one likes to talk about it, but it's... It's not as scary when you look at it, when you talk about it, and it, it can be very empowering when you understand it. And so I know like in the last episode, we kind of started to talk about money and, you know, and price increases and mm-hmm. you know, I feel like it's coming at a good time in the series because once we know our worth and we've set some boundaries and we, it's like, okay, well, like then we don't read into money as much. We don't put our put ourselves in people's wallets and decide what they're going to spend or what they're going to do. But I think until we get those other things under control, we're operating from this very emotional standpoint around it that we need to talk about. So I'm curious, Lindsay, what was, how was money viewed or talked about or seen growing up for you and your family? Yeah. I mean, I watched my mom work really hard and I thought it be something that like it, you always ended up having enough, but it was, it was stressful. And it was like, you know, I, and I, you know, one of my parents, I really couldn't rely on them. There'd be a lot of like, is it going to come through? Is it going to happen? Should I call three times this month and just see how they're doing? And then on that fourth call, be like, Hey, um, have you gotten that check in the mail? It was, it was a very delicate dance. And Mm -hmm. I think that that actually, now that we're talking about it is kind of how delicate I thought it needed to be at work. Right. Yeah. Translated. Now, do you feel like you adopted the idea of like, like how you were saying, um, like it was stressful, but there was always enough. Do you feel like you made that come to be in your life for a while of like, okay, so if money's got to be stressful, I'll make it stressful, but I'll always make sure there's just enough. Yeah. Because I feel like I've had a very solid clientele and solid career. And, you know, I know it's very popular to be like, 
I'm a six-figure stylist, but I've been that for over a decade, and it has felt very different um, at different times in my life. And so I think it's very interesting, and I think that a lot of us as hairstyles, we don't have a cash flow problem as much as we have a relationship issue to money. I think you just hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, it's not a cash flow. Like I remember, so I always use this example of of a of a, of a person I know who growing up was always like, my family's broke, my family's broke, my family's broke. And then now in later on years, like she still has the same narrative. And um, I remember hearing like they, her and her family bought a house and she's like, yeah, but it's not as nice as these other ones. And then I found out later that they like, they had saved over a hundred thousand dollars to put as a down payment for their house. They paid for their car in cash and they didn't have the flashiest things, but I was like, you're actually way far ahead of most people with the flashy things. Like there are people out there with all the flashy things that are financing everything that are swimming in debt. And like your relationship with money is actually pretty good, but your mindset of like thinking you're poor is really poor. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I love um, Gary Vaynerchuk and he talks about how it'd be a totally different game if on our chest we had the number of like what we had saved or what we actually owned or that we'd be playing a very different game because the game that we're playing is, is very like society external, like look at me in my Range Rover, like this is me in front of my big house. Like, you know, for me personally, like I feel like I've gotten to move into my dream house, but I'm not going to post a picture of me in front of it with the for sale sign. If you do that, that's totally fine. But for me, it's not authentic to me. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like it's like, you know, like when did it become cooler to like have a, like a G wagon lease than it did to be, to own your 2010 Subaru? Like why is it cool? I don't even know what a G wagon is. <laughs> okay. Yeah. See, like I'm so, I always tell people like, I'm so not a cars person. I have a 2008 VW golf and I freaking love it. Um, and I've had it paid off for years. Yeah. That like, why, why isn't that admire? Like, why are we admiring people that are living within their means? Why are we, you know, and, and also like, yeah, like I, what I, there's so much more to meets the eye around money and it, there's so much smoke and mirrors and, there's a, mm-hmm. there's this book I love that's like called The Millionaire Next Door. And it talks about, it's like the oldest, best money book in the world, I think. And it talks about how it, what I love about it is it illustrates two people a lot of times. It'll be like the surgeon that lived, that never moved homes when they got their money eventually and started really making money. And then there's the surgeon who same income of $750,000 a year you know, financed his kids through everything, got the house in the nicer neighborhood. You know, they have the neighbor that's like, where are you guys going this summer? And it's like, Beth, where are we going this summer? And it's like, just the keeping up and the, and, mm-hmm. and how the, the person that like, just like lived their life and like got fulfillment from like walking their dog or whatever, you know, shoots, you know, trips their trigger. That person was worth eight times more and had that much more wealth built. And I feel like as hairstylists, it needs to be less about like, you know, the, this, like what we bought for our salons or what we're doing. It needs to be more about like, are you ever going to be able to retire? Because that's the boss level stuff. Yep. Yep. I remember when I first graduated high school, my parents are like, start saving for your retirement. 
now. Like you don't want to wait. Most people wait until it's in sight and then it's too late. And I feel like I started when I was 21 and I still felt like I was like, oh my gosh, it's too late. And I, my financial advisor is like, Don, you are leaps and bounds ahead of people your age. But like I've consistently put money away since I was 21 for my retirement. Not always a lot, but yeah. a little. Well, it's funny because I was fortunate enough to work at the first salon I worked at had a 401k. And I didn't, I don't think I understood retirement. And I think what I said to myself was like, I didn't even know if everyone got to do that. I remember just thinking like, and I don't know if I'll ever be able to do that because like, I remember seeing how much was going in there. And I thought like, well, I mean, I know it costs a lot to live and I don't even know if I'm going to, I didn't even get far enough down the road to even put myself to say like, is that something that I'm going to be able to do? I was just like, I'll just work, you know? And, yeah. uh, but I'm still going to take them up on this because there's a match here. And I think that we don't understand money and we don't understand like how money compounds and we don't understand that like, you know, you're be- like some people could be like behind the chair or as a teacher making $50,000 a year and have an awesome retirement, awesome life because they make good decisions versus the person that's made four times that. I don't think I understood that. I don't think I had like, had any education around it. And I think it's shocking. And I think that's like the really interesting thing is um, like, I don't know what I was going to (laughs) say. I had a really good point and then it just disappeared out of my brain. Um, It was something about, oh my gosh. Wow. I think it was like, it's not about how much, oh yeah. It's not about how much money you make. It's how you spend it because there are people who, this is what I was going to say. There are people who win the lottery and they'll win millions of dollars. And then within a few years, they'll be bankrupt again. And it's all about how you view money, your relationship to money, your mindset around it and how you manage it. Would you say? Yeah. And I feel like, you know, you you hear this said a lot, but if you think that you don't deserve to be making what you're making, you are going to sabotage yourself and you're going to spend it on other people or on things, or you're going to get it out. You're just going to get it, get it all out of your hands because it's, it's, it, you don't have a, you don't have the, the boundaries around money because that's a whole nother thing. If you start mm-hmm. making money and then there's people or family or there's things like that, where people's expectations of you shift, you know, yeah. like, Oh, like, it's fun to go out to eat with you because like you take care of it and, you know, and, and, and that, that stuff. And also, you know, like that's a boundary thing. And then you got the, like, if you don't feel worthy of the money you're making, like you are going to do some tricky business. That's what I was meaning by I've had a very consistently successful career, but the way that I've viewed it and the way that I, my relationship to it has really evolved as I've grown up. Mm -hmm. I remember like hitting six figures the first year I went out on my own and then thinking I had made it. And then I stayed stagnant kind of within reason for a while because thinking, well, I can't get any better than this. Like I can't grow it anymore. Um, But I was having this conversation with someone recently about like, everybody wants more money. They think that's the answer. I just need more money. If I just had some more money, but if we can't, and I know I'm going to get a little woo-woo here, but if we can't show the universe that we can be responsible with what we've got, how can we ever be responsible with more? Yeah, no. And I feel like that's about kind of like, like um, you have to start walking the walk before you see it in your life. And I've never seen, I've never seen exception to that. Like I've never, like, I've never been like, just like feeling bad for myself or it's like, you have to pick yourself up. You have to start making decisions. You have to start like living in alignment with the life you want. And then those things start to just trickle in and never totally. see. 
Yeah. And I think that's the thing. And like, I've been victim to it being like, oh, just if I just made more, if I just made more. And it's like, well, no, if I just learned to live with what I've got and be responsible, then I know I can have the capacity to take on more. Well, and here's one, like the one thinking that anytime you're going to go on a trip or you're going to do something or it's like, oh, you want to, like I've done, like when we bought our condo, like a few years ago, like I remember being like, okay, I'm going to be aggressive here. I'm going to work extra and I'm going to, because then I could even put more down and more down. And it's like, did that little bit more down make your monthly payment that much less that you had to do that? Like, why, like, why is your relation like, and I think we can get caught up because of this, the nature of our business. We're not getting a salary. We're not, we're not getting paid like the same, no matter what. So you're kind of getting, it's almost a, for me, it's, it was like a drug. Like I could get more and more and more. And it's like, and I was, and I felt like I was rewarded for more from like yeah. people monetarily. But at the end of the day, it came at a cost. Like you've got this place to live that you're never at. And, you know, you, you have this person you supposedly live there with, but I mean, if you literally live your life with that mentality, it's scarcity and you have a lot and you could just be grateful, like you said, for what you have and be grateful you're able to buy this place. But it's like, no, I, because I think I had my pride and my ego were saying like, put down even more. Don't put down 20%, put, put down more. And it's yeah. like, it's a vicious, vicious dance. Totally. And I remember, so after I went through my divorce, um, I bought a house on my own and I was so excited to be like, this is a hundred percent me. Like I put the whole down payment down myself. I like, I didn't have a co-signer, like it was mine. And I was really, really proud of the fact of like, it was like a very independent cause I tend to be a codependent person and it was a very independent thing that I did. Um, and then the whole like, kind of like panic of like, oh my gosh, this is my responsibility now. And oh, I have taxes to pay and I have bills to pay. But then also I didn't have the mentality of paying it down more. I had the mentality of like, oh look, I can buy more clothes. And I spent my money on clothes. I had so many clothes. And I kind of, I did this whole purge shortly after I moved to Calgary six years ago of like getting rid of all my clothes because I was trying to like become a new Dawn and I was a new identity and yada, yada, yada. But I just like watched all that money go down the drain when I like cleaned out my closet. And I was like, wow, I just found a way to throw away the money that I was making to keep myself in a similar place. And I think, dang, I could have paid down my mortgage a ton well, and it was short-term sat- like gratification, right? Like yeah. put that new shirt on from Charlotte Russe, or I don't know if you have those there. No. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of like Cleo. Do you have that store? No, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking they're probably similar. They're like, yeah. you know, like it would nice. ma- I, my grandma would shop there. Okay. This one's kind of like flowy tank tops, maybe a crystal belt. I don't oh. know. <laughs> yeah. Not my style. No, I mean, I don't know. I just thought it sounded funny. Uh, Yeah, like, it's like, oh, I want to feel good in this moment where it's like, and also like, that's kind of what I was doing by working extra. It's like, it felt good to have my clients be like, like, oh, you're making me feel good. We're just trying to quick fix, make ourselves feel good. And like, what actually feels good is to like, have your future set up and to like, be like living your life in a way that you don't have to worry about like, working extra to, to make, ends meet or yeah you know and it really comes down to I know for me it was like the comparison thing and it's like just live within your means like when I first so I owned my house at why not I own the bank owned my house that I was paying back in Saskatchewan and I loved it it was like it was like a century or a century or a century 
a century home, century year old. It was a hundred years old. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it was like, had cute little dormers and it was like the master bedroom was huge and I had a walk-in closet and like my bathroom was like French provincial themed. And like, I was very into like that whole style. And, and I, cause it was like, it was a representation of my independence and I was really sad moving away from it. Cause I loved my house. Um, and I lived like five minutes from my salon. And when I packed everything up for like, you know, a dream of a better life out here, um, we had to live in a rental and I had never lived in besides like renting apartments in my early twenties. I always owned a home, like me and my ex-husband bought a house and then I bought my own. So going back to a rental was like this weird self-worth thing for me because I was brought up to be like owning a home was like a status thing, I guess. I don't know. And so when I moved here and we had to rent, I was like embarrassed and you can't really paint and like it's, you know, carpet you don't like and linoleum you don't like and the kitchen cupboards, you know, and there was no even goal of changing it because it's not mine. And we stayed in that rental for two and a half years. And then we moved to another rental that was like, you know, more inner city and it was really cost effective. So it helped us save. And we put away like, like a couple thousand bucks a month into savings, which was, yeah. And I look back and I, and like, we, I helped Nick pay off all... He went to school for 12 years and I didn't pay off his loans for him, but I helped set up a plan and he paid off all of his student loans in under two years. Because I was like, we can live really inexpensively and I don't love where I live and it doesn't look bougie. And maybe people, you know, that like pride and that ego and that embarrassment all played a factor. But then like four years after living in rentals, we were able to buy the home we have now and we love it. And we were able to put a good amount of money down on it um, and it's like, sometimes that like short-term pain for long-term gain is worth it. Yeah. And I think you bring up a really good point because I feel like, you know, like, I feel like your house does look really cool or like, I think my house is really cool, but sometimes what doesn't get discussed is like how much work went into getting it and how, and how, or even salons. Like I see your salon looks awesome. My salon looks awesome, but like people don't see like the over a decade journey of the saving and the sacrifice and the no vacations and the this and then that. And I'm not saying like everyone should do it the way we did it. But I think that realizing like with Instagram, I think people coming out of school, see what we have or see what we're doing. And they don't actually, they don't have the story of it and they don't have the appreciation. And like, had you and I just gotten what we have, I don't think we would appreciate it either. And I think we no. probably pondered it, but like, it is not lost on me a single thing that I have because of how hard I've had to work to get it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's maybe the disconnect is like now with Instagram and Pinterest, we only see these beautiful salons. And I see people sabotaging their own careers over like, well, my walls aren't white, so I can't charge more. And it's like, as long as you have a clean atmosphere, it doesn't matter what the decor is. Yeah. No, like even like in my course I'm working on the, the location section, it's like, it matters, but it doesn't. Yeah. My, like, I always say, like, I have a downtown Calgary salon, but it's in an old hospital and it looks real ugly from the outside. Like, it's not a bougie high. I don't need, I didn't need walk-in traffic so I could be off the beaten path. I'm really close to a main drag, but just off the beaten path. And that's helped me keep, you know, reasonable rent. It's I'm not on a main drag either. I'm off of a, a main drag and I'm like, oh, I love it. It's appointment only. Like, 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 I think you can get starry eyed, right? Like, and I remember there's bigger spaces on the main drag around the corner. And I'm like, someday I'll have that. But then when I got right with myself, I don't even want that. 
Yeah. Like I don't need as much as like I crave that validation and I crave being seen. Like I had a full clientele and I wasn't planning on growing my business where I needed walk-ins. So I'm like, why would I go spend double per square foot in a high traffic area when I don't need the high traffic area? But your ego, if you let that make the decision would have had you somewhere that like now you're, you're doing hair in a different, completely different capacity, you would have sabotaged your actual dream. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I wonder if like, and that's not saying someone that does have a salon in one of those locations is ego driven by any means. Um, And like different business models look differently. And like, as much as like, I wish I had a really cute storefront with windows that I could have a display in and like make, like, I, I love that. But I was like, but I don't need it. And to make the smart money, and I'm really glad that like that's just something that was ingrained into me. It was like, make smart money decisions. Be guided by your gut, but don't put yourself in a place that's going to compromise the ability to um, to run your business. And I, you know, work life balance is so important to me, and a stress free life is really important to me. Yeah, I love that. So yeah, I think just really realizing like what, what actually adds value and joy to your life. Like you having a house that you love and like now you're working, you know, primarily at it. It's like, it's, that's, that's a better use of your resources than having a salon that you don't spend your primary time at. And it's like, I think like, it's, I love what you said about like, it's not wrong how anyone's doing it, but like, I think we're looking around at everyone else and we're going to getting tripped up as opposed to being like, what is Lindsay's version of success? Dawn's Mm -hmm. version and like I feel like I admire people's big locations I admire that but they're living their dream and I have to go live my own and it's different absolutely absolutely and like that's the thing is we don't know what someone others someone else's goals are and we don't know what someone else's financial situation is so even though you may admire someone's beautiful crystal clear high-end salon they could be swimming in debt they could not also Right. But we just don't know. And so do what you can live within your means. Um, and like, be okay with waiting. Oh, the weight is where you get like the appreciation from, like, it's Mm -hmm. like, you can't skip that. You can't skip that part. No, totally. So all in all, Lindsay, as we wrap this episode up, like, what would you say is like the top three things that people should know about money? I think people should know that if they start a retirement account or they get like a fidelity account or anything like that, that if they have it, you know, in the market, I'm not a, I'm not a financial advisor, but that the, the rule of 72 is something that I never knew, which is every 7.2 years on average, your money doubles. I think that's a staggering amount. And I think that that's something that like, you know, if you were to read, um, another book that I love is called The Latte Factor. If you were to read a couple books that are kind of more modern, The Millionaire Next Door and The Latte Factor would be my two books. So that would be like tip number two. But tip number one is just like understanding you put your money somewhere every, and you don't touch it and you just have it invested you know, with a little bit of help from someone at Fidelity or whoever you trust that your money actually grows. I think is just such a really, a, a really important thing that we really should know. And then the third thing I would say is like, yeah, like maybe just stop looking at what everyone else has and, and figure out what it is that brings you joy, brings you fulfillment, brings you happiness. Because like you've heard every successful person say that getting what they thought would make them happy didn't. So you got to, you got, it's an inside job and then let, let the money just help you facilitate that. 
Absolutely. I love that. Even like when I see pictures of your salon, I'm like, oh, I want to redo mine. Right? Like we're always like, oh, oh, oh. Um, have you read You're a Badass at Making Money? I've read the, she's got another book I feel like I've read. You, she has You Are a Badass and then it's Jen Sincero. Yeah. And then You Are a Badass at Making Money goes really deep into our money mindsets. And it was so helpful for me, like asking like, because we shame people with extreme wealth. We can like, you can do well to a point, but like, don't tell me about your private jet. Like, how dare you? You should be feeding all the, po- all the poor people in the world when really like we are wealthy compared to many people. And why aren't we giving what we can? Yeah. You're not going to give from a higher level. If you're not giving where you're at today, you're not going to suddenly come into more money and start to be a generous person. It doesn't mm-hmm. work. No. And the thing I would say on piggyback on that would be that this idea that wealthy people aren't kind people or like you're a good person up until a certain point, because like you're saying, there's also that stigma, like some of the most generous, some of the most understated and some of the most amazing people I've ever met are the wealthiest. So that's actually just a limiting belief you have around. Money. Yeah. I remember being at a fundraiser where this couple gave $50,000 to a, to a charity. And then my initial thought was like, that's it. And then I was like, whoa, Don, like $50,000. <laughs> and I'm going to be like, you should give more. But it's funny how we like project like, well, those people should be the ones giving, but like I'm struggling. Right. Where it's like, you should be given the $50 you have. of yeah. um, And if you think that like people started at 50,000, then you're just, you're just, you got it wrong because they gave what they could from whatever level they were at. And Tony Robbins says the same thing. You can get everything in your whole life. And if giving is not a part of your growth strategy, you're screwed. Yeah, totally. I love that. Well, this has been such a good episode. I, I can't it. wait for the next one. What are we talking about next week? We're going to talk about communication. Boom. I love it. You know, that's right up my alley. So now that we've got the money thing figured out, let's, let's hit them with communicating. There we go.